This podcast is brought to you by the Common Mission Project. Hello and welcome to the Common Mission Podcast. Really excited today to bring you an episode that's celebrating the fourth anniversary of the Common Mission Project. And on with me today is is our executive director and, and my good friend. I really want to put that out there as well, Alex Gallo. Alex, so happy to have you uh, on another episode with us. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate you doing this and um, leading the podcast. Um, I think I know you're reaching a ton of people out there uh, with this. It's actually what's interesting about the podcast is it's not only a, uh, you know, a tool to, um, you know, inform and provide the landscape of issues, but it's building the community. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that, you know, getting onto our fourth anniversary of CMP, that's also the uh, purpose of the literal purpose of uh, common mission project. So again, thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's been interesting. You know, I remember, uh, so Alex and I go back to my educators course that I took as a brand new H4 faculty at Texas A&M University. And it was, uh, it seems to be, it seems to be a pattern recently, Alex, where my trips for commission project have like funny ways of getting home or whatever. But I remember being stuck in Houston for a little while, but um, going to that ed course and being able to, to meet, meet you and meet the team at BMNT and uh, the team that's, uh, you know, how much you've built commission projects. I want to say, you know, we're going back now, but in October of 2019 was when Commission Project started. And I met you that same month. It was probably before it was officially Commission Project. I still have my H4D uh, t-shirt from that. And, you know, I wear with pride, but, um, you know, to see what, what you and the team have done with this organization over the last several years has been remarkable. And I agree with you. The thing that's drawn me towards H4 has been the community and not just the mm-hmm. faculty, not just, you know, the the sponsors, but it really has to do with the broader community, our students and every, all the support that goes along with it. And, you know, the fact that mm-hmm. I'm trading text messages with folks that I've worked with over the years that ask for beneficiary discovery or whatever. And they're like, yeah, what can I do for you? How can I help out? And that really speaks to the community that you and a lot of others have helped to cultivate. So it's an absolute honor mm-hmm. to be part of this team. Um, but, you know, with this episode, t- kind of talking about, you know, we talked about how you kind of got into this mission driven for anybody who hasn't listened to the Red Queen episode with Alex. Absolutely do it. It's a fabulous episode. But, you know, we talked in that episode about your experience at West Point and how it kind of informed where you went with your trajectory. And we can dive back into that as much as you want, Alex. But, you know, mm-hmm. kind of how that helped uh, form how you actually create a commission project uh, along with the support of others and then what you've done and where we're going as an organization. I think it's been a lot of excitement over the last several years uh, directly tied to the creation of this organization. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And um, just to pick up this, you know, the story, as you were suggesting for the last uh, podcast, um, you know, when I was, I worked on the house armed services committee, um, one of my, one of my last jobs before this role, and um, I was working for uh, Chairman Mac Thornberry, full committee policy staff, working on Middle East policy and Asia Pacific regional policy. And the Hill is actually a really inter- interesting place for a number of different reasons. Um, oh, I absolutely. Know folks <laughs> Especially right now, way. right? <laughs> right, right. But, um, but the, what's really cool is, is the crossroads of our democracy. So many different people in society come together at the Hill. You know, you have a lot of outside groups, everything from individuals to other, um, you know, other advocacy organizations. Um, it is the place where the people have a say. And the one, th- on one hand, you would see a lot of people come to the Hill and express their um, positions. And I'm saying conceptually come to the Hill through writing sure. and 
but literally come to the hill um, mm-hmm. in a constructive way, of course, um, would right. You you saw you saw that at the same time. The thing I recognized through that process, um, having worked on the national security side in the executive branch, and then as I said, I was on the armed services committee working on national security side, is we did not have enough of our country engaged on these big problems. And at that time, I was primarily thinking national security, these big right. kind of strategic issues. And we were, you know, in 2017, when I, I departed the committee in in February of 2017. And you know, at that time, that was the movement towards thinking about great power competition. Shortly thereafter, in 2018, in the Trump administration, national defense strategy said, uh, state competition, comma, not terrorism, comma, is the focus of our national security. It was the transition from the counterterrorism fight over the last 20 years to right. um, so-called great power competition or strategic right. and competition. Just, just to frame it so everybody's maybe not familiar, thinking about the global war on terrorism that started you know, pretty much right after 9-11. And again, referencing back to your uh, story about West yeah. Point uh, and the, the Red Queen episode. But so, yeah, yeah. you're right. We, we There was this big transition period, right, where we were looking at this kind of the end of the, the GWAT era, the global war against terrorism, um, and then moving yeah. on to other priorities. And obviously this goes back to different political parties and different things and priorities, but we did have this transition and we're see- continuing to see this transition away from uh, yeah. ter- the terrorism war that we've been fighting for, right, to your point, 20 years. Yeah. And to your point again, yeah. And in, so we had this great bipartisan consensus that I think is shouldn't go unrecognized around Absolutely. this idea, particularly with respect to China being the pacing threat, pacing actor, I should say. But, um, you know, so what I recognized personally, is, as I said, was that um, we just did not have enough of our society engaged in this. And if you and and then I would even extend that thought to Western society, enough sure. of Western society engaged on these big strategic challenges. So. Um, along the way, I met a very important f- figure that continuously comes up in, in all these conversations because he has been a, a leader in building the community, Pete Newell. Ab- I met oh, absolutely. Pete. Joe Felter actually introduced me to Pete Newell. Joe Felter's out at Stanford University, Gordian Knott Center, one of the founders of Hacking for Defense. He emailed me when I was still on the Hill on the Armed Services Committee, but right before I was leaving, and he's like, hey, there's this gentleman named Pete. Newell, who um, I'd like you to talk about, and he, and he talk with, and he wants to talk to you about hacking for defense. Okay. And for me, I was a regional policy guy. When I heard hacking for defense, again, I didn't know exactly what it was about. Um, and then when Pete described it to me, I kind of bucketed it a little bit in my mind around acquisition policy and strategy. I'm like, well, I, that's not my portfolio. Right. Well, how can I help about, you? <laughs> yeah. But I talked to him about the NDAA process and, and so on. And Eventually, through that conversation, Hacking for Defense did get authorized in the National Defense Authorization Act. But, you know, I recognized through that conversation with Pete that this program at that time um, was a way to bring together the government, universities, and the private sector around these critical public problems. And I was intrigued by that because I had not seen that opportunity up to then. Right. Fast forward in time, not until 2018. Um, I left in 2017. I was at uh, I was working with the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I was writing, and in 2018, um, I meet up with Pete again, and and Pete said, "Hey, we're trying. We're going to try to scale hacking for defense, essentially. Um, and would you like to be a part of it? And we have this nonprofit. At that time, it was called. We had a nonprofit called Hacking for Defense Incorporated, or H4DI. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, "Yes, I'm 
very interested in this because of the problem that I found. I think this is a way of engaging broader society in these critical issues. So how do the Common Mission Project start through this is we started scaling Hacking for Defense, working with our Department of Defense partners and and the Hill. The Hill was very supportive of it as well. And we scaled to 50 and then onwards to 60 universities around the United States running this program. And then we had the opportunity to run and build Hacking for Homeland Security with the Department of DHS, mm-hmm. Department of Homeland Security. And then we had Hacking for Diplomacy with the State Department. So we were expanding to other problem domains in the national security realm. And so the board of directors, our board of directors at that time, H4DI's board of directors, you know, said, hey, um, we've had great success in working, using this methodology, the Hacking for methodology and working on national security problems. But we got a lot of other problems in society, of course. Right. There's among not them, just national security. Yeah. Among them being climate, of, co- of course, social issues, uh, et cetera. He's like, how might we, you know, apply this? you know, uh, methodology in this non-defense, non-national security space. And so that was the beginning thoughts towards um, enlarging the mission of Hacking for Defense Incorporated and changing the name of it literally to this idea of the Common Mission Project. Right. And the idea and the original idea around, and I'll pause here, but the original idea around Common Mission Project was, is that, you know, we all have a stake in it. Right. We're part of this common mission. No one can be isolated. No one is isolated. Let me just say it that way. No one, whether you're wealthy or, you know, privileged in any way, everybody is affected by these global challenges. And so we need to integrate everybody at all, all walks of life and society into working on these problems. So. Yeah. And I think that's like a really interesting point is, you know, I guess coming at initially from a faculty perspective is being able to see, you know, this hesitations from time, sometimes from students about, well, do I want to work in national defense? And then they start realizing, well, everything in some way is is mm-hmm. national security, whether it's uh, energy independence, whether it's, you know, rebuilding kelp forests or carbon recapture all the way down to mitigating risks that exist at, you know, embassies overseas. There's so many things that this this all means. And for me, one of the things that I, I, you know, a lot like you, Alex, came from like a, a pretty pure defense world uh, for most of my mm-hmm. career, whether in uniform or in, in a defense adjacent and realizing that to your point, we're all in this together. And that was mm-hmm. a really uh, a monumental shift in the way that I, I think and the way I've approached working in these programs over the years, because when students start figuring that out, that we're all in this together. And I think that's the cool thing about academia is. Um, you know, I know where you've taught at Georgetown, where I teach at RIT, there's all walks of life that are walking through that door. They're coming from all different parts of the world. And they're not right. necessarily just saying, I'm going to go, you know, go work as a govy. They're actually maybe going back to their communities, uh, you know, in, in the Dominican or in India or in California with what they've learned and going into mm-hmm. a, a number of different environments where they can take the process that they've learned and apply it into the work they do. That's incredibly yeah. validating as a as an educator and somebody who's now being fortunate enough to be on both sides, seeing, look at what these students are doing with all of this. And then you get a report back two, three years later from a student like, hey, I, I, I used the mission model canvas at a brief at work to kind of highlight where I thought there were some gaps. And they yeah. realized it wasn't my feelings. It was just this is what the information is telling me. That is incredibly validating to see the application in so many different ways and seeing the way that the program has grown over time. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. and. You know, what's interesting, too, is, you know, we, you're right, we work on real problems in our courses, 
and through commission projects programs. We're doing it in an entrepreneurial and innovative in, in an innovative way. But the real, I think the real impact that common mission project is having and the hacking for program is having is we are transforming individuals lives and you know we do have people who are coming in as engineers let's say mm-hmm. into a hacking for uh environment class they enter as engineers but they leave as environmentalists yes and they never really fully recognize that that was in fact their life calling um and we have people coming in to our hacking for defense and homeland programs and so on. Again, they didn't realize they were business school students, but they didn't realize they were actually national security professionals. And yeah, and really, what brings them to those that kind of epiphany uh, through our courses is the fact that they're working on real problems and they find out that they're interesting. Um, and the government has really interesting work to be done and necessary work. Um, and then the other thing is that they recognize is um, that the people are really cool. Yeah, it's a good yeah. community. I mean, these are people I could work with, and um, and and again, like by doing that, we're demystifying uh, working, you know, on these on these type of issues with 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 or for the government, and thereby, I think we're engaging more of our society in this um, in this cause. Going all the way back to my original thought of what what brought me to this. Yeah, you know, one thing I'll, I, I'm not going to say their their name in here, but a, a previous employee at Commission Project came from uh, an arts degree program at a, at a university. And I think what was really interesting is this individual found a life passion in working mm-hmm. in, within the Hacking for Defense program and then ultimately coming over to CMP. And now they have an incredible career working in the national security space and they figure out they had this calling. And I think that's a really... I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I've told this story before, but I'll say it again. I had a student that was working with the Department of Homeland Security a year ago, and he said, I'm going to go work for the TSA when I graduate. This is what I want to do. I want to help people with with access and all these different things. And it's just like, I, I challenge anybody who's listening to this or anybody I know to tell me they know somebody who says, I want to go work for the TSA. But when students <laughs> realize that you're right, it's not just, well, I'm, I'm a math major or business major, that there's these opportunities that exist. And I think for me too, Alex, and just coming in as kind of a tangential point is it also teaches the students in the room and and the faculty too, probably, is that every perspective and experience has value and adds value to understanding Mm -hmm. what's going on in these ecosystems. So, you know, I I remember being younger and thinking, especially when I was in the army, you know, as an infantryman, oh, that person's just supply or whatever. There's Mm -hmm. no just. There's that person does their job well means I can execute my job well and they're bringing in perspectives I wouldn't have had otherwise. And that to me mm-hmm. is a really incredibly affirming thing because of the diversity we have in the H4 experience for these students is that everybody comes and brings something to the, unique to the table and whether they find a passion or they're able to, to find direction or realize where their career can be going, that's, that's amazing. And that's, I think the power of what the program has built over time is bringing in these, these teams that don't know each other and they walk away with this life-affirming experience. That, that's what higher mm-hmm. education should be. And sometimes we, we don't get that right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, you know, we've talked a lot about in this conversation uh, already about like government service. What I think is also interesting about our program is in common mission projects work is that we have a broad concept of what it means to be mission driven. Um, There's opportunities to do that through the private sector. And we have folks who've formed companies, folks who've gone on to important um, companies and and, uh, corporate entities in our space um 
really, like I said, and as you said, actually, um, if there's no just, everybody has a role here. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I, I want us to, you know, so what becomes the organizing principle? It's not public versus private and these kind of things. It, the organizing principle becomes the nation. Yeah, exactly. Western society, <laughs> you know, um, and I think like we need more of that in our our society, broadly speaking, is just a um, uh, a kind of like a broad identity of um, who we are and what what our mission is and what our values are and and um, and and such. And I do think, in a way, by getting beyond our normal, um, you know, tribalism, if you will, as I said, corporate, you know, private versus public sector, what political party you're from, whatever it is, whatever your tribe is, mm-hmm. getting to a broader concept of of what we're part of and a bigger concept. I think that's, um, I think that there again, I think that mindset shift will help us actually solve a lot of these critical problems of our time, as we say in our mission statement. Yeah. And and I think you bring up a valid point there. An important point is that I think if you look at the public, the media landscape or the public, you know, politics, whatever is, there's this idea of divisions. And I think the more time you spend with people and just kind of put political party or ideology on, on the wayside and say, okay, we're all in this together. And I think it's by being able to create a framework where people are able to articulate themselves based in, in facts and information they've collected and say, listen, mm-hmm. uh, I had a thought on this. I was wrong or I was right, but here's what the information is telling us. And it creates this um, ecosystem of critical thinkers. And I, I love seeing that where, you know, somebody mm-hmm. tells, you know, the students, well, I think this is what you should do. And it's okay. Well, I'm going to go and validate this a hundred times over before I, I form, have an informed opinion here. That's powerful. Yeah. But Anyway, so kind of going back, so four year anniversary coming up, we we've you know you as you mentioned, the program has scaled to seventy universities, mm-hmm. and you know we've grown with diplomacy, working with Department of State, Homeland Security, with these impact programs. But let's go yeah. back to two thousand eighteen, two thousand nineteen, Alex. So you're getting these courses going, you're spinning up the organization, and mm-hmm. what was was there a point when you were building out this organization or have you had this, this realization that we are onto something or we're filling a critical gap? Was there any examples or instances in your experiences where saying like what I'm doing matters and I can, I can kind of hang my hat in these certain um, situations. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for that question. Um, the short answer is yes. I mean, I think I kind of knew it even before coming into it. Um, I remember talking with Pete and Joe a felter, and then eventually with Steve Blank, and just seeing what they were doing at Stanford, um, I think I think that was my thought of like, well, we're onto something. Um, that and, pilot that happened at Stanford in 2016. Yeah, and and afterwards, I mean, I think like that was the place where we can see, I could see the mindset shift that occurs over a very small time period, the problem solving that can occur, the entrepreneurial thinking, and the companies companies that were formed out of it that, um, you know, can service a solution in a sustainable way because they're, you know, their market sustainable and such eventually. So, you know, so these are, I thought we were onto something at that point. Um, but yes, I have some, one example, and I forget the gentleman's name right now, um, but he, he's featured on our website, um, was a student, uh, at Stanford university also, um, he was an engineering student and this guy worked on a U.S. Army problem in the hacking for defense course at Stanford. And through taking the course, you know, the students have to interview upwards of a hundred people. Sometimes they go well over a hundred people, particularly the Stanford course right. was well done in that respect. And, um, and because of taking hacking for defense, he went to army OCS. 
Really? Yeah. So wow. this goes to this idea of this transformational experience. This is a first generation kid. As I said, a master's in engineering student had never contemplated the U.S. military ever, but because of the experience of working real problems, engaging with upwards of 100 military, uh, army uh, presumably, but other military folks across the semester, what did he learn? He learned that they are moral, they are ethical, they follow the law, and actually they're really interesting people. Yeah. To go see myself having a career in life with these this community. Mm-hmm. And um, he's now a army officer. He's an, an engineer. Uh, officer and you know he's going to hopefully do great things for the army and he probably he will i'm sure i'm sure he will but that's that's an example like particularly the talent side of the equation we often we talk about tech and i think tech is very important actually and absolutely getting that right but the talent part of it the talent development piece i mean that is invaluable we are bringing again more of our society closer to these problems and i think that's when our democracy is enhanced and when more people are engaged, not, not less, you know? Um, and so, um, you know, that's a very, a very specific example of like, Hey, we're onto something here. And I can think of countless other examples like that as well. Yeah. It's interesting. I think there's this idea and like, you know, Alex, both you and I were infantrymen when we started our careers in the army. And I, you Mm -hmm. know, I think there's this, um, this perception that, you know, oh, it's people who drop out of high school or can't can't keep with things that go in the military. And I was shocked at just how bright the majority of individuals that I was I was stationed with that were, you know, infantrymen, blue cord wearers, you know, mm-hmm. gentlemen like yourself who deployed multiple times, how yeah. thoughtful and how capable they were and, and really how smart they they were in and are. And that really Again, it was that experience because I think you you know there is so much of that. Well, um, going to the military is kind of a last option, but it really I think when you look at it and you meet these individuals, that perception shifts. But the only way you really get that perception shift is by the experiences, and that's not doesn't come out of a textbook. To your point, it really is. You go and talk to a hundred people, and you say, "Well, this is the thing I was missing in my life, and I didn't know it because I didn't have access to this." And the H four program in of itself is exceedingly unique in the higher education ecosystem, right? I mean, how many, I've asked my mm-hmm. students every semester, have you had a class like this before? And I've never had one of them come back and tell me, yes, um, maybe short of the i stuff that's happening out of the innovation centers. But that is a little bit different in terms of focus, I think, even though some fundamentally similar processes in some ways. So, um, so let's, let's fast forward to you, you've, you've got, you've got this, well, uh, these experiences. Oh, go ahead, Alex. Yeah. Do you want, do I, I want to just pick up on your point briefly yeah. and then, um, you're, I agree with you. Um, some of the best people I've ever worked with are the folks I served with in the army mm-hmm. and infantrymen in particular. Yes. But, yes, um, exactly. But yeah, smart, et cetera. Um, that is a um, reflection of uh, the all volunteer force. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And I, um, my advisor when I was at Harvard in mass in my master's group program was a guy named Dr. John White. And and he was uh, deputy secretary of defense. He was director of OMB, and he was also one of the people to help design the all volunteer force. And that was, um, and that that has been on one hand transformational, to use that term again for the our country and the military and how and the quality I think um, of the people that we're able to bring in and and so on. On the other hand, it has had effects on our society where 
again, people are not as engaged, I think, on these um, public issues, right? They don't have right. as much stake. And that, again, is another example of like where we come in is that I think, you know, Hacking for Defense, the Common Mission Project of delivering this is, and this is, these are Steve Blank's words, not mine, but they resonate, is this is the ROTC of the 21st century. And that we are finding, you know, you don't have to, you can, like the uh, gentleman that I talked about at Stanford, who went into the army after Hacking for Defense, but this is another way to serve. And we have a, like a broad concept of service. And right. I think our society is healthier when we don't have, a, you know, a significant distance between the military, which is an all volunteer force. That's even like, I think, as you said, a reflection of some of the best in our society. And that's great. That's the kind of people who are in the military, but the, to the extent to which they become separated and non-representative of society, that, that puts a risk on democracy. So I think we, I think we're, we're filling a gap in that respect too, where we're connecting people to um, to national service that who have not would not have otherwise been connected. It's so. a good point. I mean, I never thought about it that way, Alex. Is you, he's kind of framing this as another way of 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 kind of like that one year of obligatory service that you may have in in other countries and other places around the world. But this is a way for students to really go and sink their teeth into something real. And that that to mm-hmm. me is really it's not this. You know, we talk about everything else uh, about. Um, you know, I think about this a lot, you know, the difference between theory and application of theory. And I even had this conversation last night with my students in my hacking for diplomacy classes, you know, all the mm-hmm. theory and those kind of things are exceedingly important. I'll, you know, I, you know, that's obviously you and I being lifelong learners, but what mm-hmm. happens when bullets start flying and you've got this good plan? Like what's like, what do you, what does it mean to break contact or move towards the objective? <clears throat> and it's all well and good. And to conceptualize it, but it's something else entirely to see how this applies in the real world. And this gives mm-hmm. students a, my, my pitch to students always has been, if you stick to this course, you're, I'm going to propel you, oh, this process is going to propel you five years into your professional future. And mm. I am continually proven right by that hypothesis that I have, that this program teaches things that we all have to learn by our mistakes or along the way, mm. a really good mentor. So it's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting, I like the way it's, it is a way of national service. And if we broaden that, if we look at maybe going back to the, uh, the Eisenhower years, uh, you know, not Eisenhower, but going back to Woodrow, um, to uh, FDR and thinking mm-hmm. about what national, and, and even Eisenhower when they're building the national, like the, the highways and things is that national service mm-hmm. meant a lot of different things. It could be replanting trees all the way to, you know, going into the military. So there's, there's so many things in between and, and maybe to our detriment as a society, we've thought national service means politics or, or military, but there's a lot more there, isn't there? And, and mm-hmm. I don't know if that was the aim that you had when you started helped start this program, Alex, but it's kind of feels like it's organically evolved into something where service means more than just having a flag on your shoulder. And that's been an interesting concept, I think, for students to see themselves in the solution um, versus having to go about it and just be another, you know, cog in the, in this, in the gears. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think both are true in terms of how this has come about. Um, you know, people in the military generally, as you well know, abroad, actually, I think I said a broad con- concept of service. And when they come home, they want to find other ways to continue to serve their country and society, because really, at the end of the day, they're serving the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And they feel that by, you know, they want to continue to do that in some way. And so it's natural for folks like Pete Newell, for you, for me, who served in the military, to um, to think, to start thinking more broadly, like how else can we serve society? It's a natural mm-hmm. place. So 
yes, yeah. I think there was some intentionality in oh, that respect. Interesting. Okay. At the same time, I will say, you know, organic things happen. So we, you know, just like through our methodology, we have basically been doing MVPs. This is Steve Weinstein's, uh, who's on our board director. You know, his huge contribution has been, I'm just going to go out there and start doing some hacking for oceans courses and see an MVP it and see what the response is. And those tests, you know, came back with um, a view towards like, this makes a lot of sense. I think we have something here, kind of right. like, you know, back right, to your right. question. And, and so, yeah, I think there was some intentionality and some deliberate discovery that was occurring at the same time it became revealed to us too. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, so, um, so yeah, I mean, we, and you can see that we had that intentionality because we changed the name of the organization first. Right. That this was, is, this is okay. what we're going to do. Yeah. You know? And that's yeah. where, okay. So that, that makes really good sense. So you kind of saw after, you know, initial introductions to Pete and then obviously over time that this is national security is if we actually want it to be nebulous, it really is. And then there's this opportunity where we actually can say, well, it's hypothesis. Our hypothesis, our MVP is that this is applicable in many other domains. <clears throat> and um, my experience now that I've taught all of these programs, I've had the fortune there mm -hmm. is that, and internationally yeah. now is the process works. It doesn't matter what the problem is. It doesn't matter what space mm -hmm. you're working in is that there is mm -hmm. a process towards innovation that it, when it's adopted and done well, and executed well. And I think you've got energetic students. This is the other piece there and really engaged sponsors. The possibilities really are endless and, and the confines of a semester are really artificial, right? Because we just say like, you know, it's never done. It's just good enough. Well, the semester ends and there's all this other uh, off-ramping and on-ramping opportunities. And it's been, for me as an educator, has been fascinating to see that I don't know the domains, you know, in, in impact space or in other spaces very well oftentimes, but I know the process and seeing students mm -hmm. get energized because they can learn how to do something and actually see that I see themselves in the solution is remarkable. And I think that's one of the, the things, whether it was, you know, you said there was some intentionality there, but it's been fascinating to see that our value proposition of making change and, and being the change really has been in a lot of ways fulfilled because mm -hmm. we we look at what security means very, very broadly. That's been an interesting perspective that um, I've been able to glean from you over the years. Yeah, I appreciate that. But, you know, I mean, to give credit to those who've also thought about this idea is, you know, Richard Haas, who was, who was the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, he wrote a book, Foreign Policy Begins at Home. Right. I mean, his point is that we have to be strong at home, education, and so on, you know, to be a leader in the world. Condoleezza Rice, she um, she was one of the co-chairs of a, also through the Council on Foreign Relations on on our education system and how that's important for national security and such. Right. So, you know, I mean, for us to be a, I think it's more a, a question of like, what is the United States' role in the world, and how does the United States continue to be a leader in the world? Well, we have to be strong here at home first. Yeah. And and that's definitely, I think, for me at least personally, and. And for, I think, Common Mission Project, that's a core thought, is that um, a core belief um, that we have to be strong here at home. We have a common mission. And the way we, we work on that is through working on our problems and just getting us all together, the government, universities, the private sector engaged on these very specific, well-curated problems. Right. And uh, yeah, um, so, <laughs> you know, it's very consistent with, you know, that thinking. 
Yeah, it was interesting, you know, that we've been doing a lot of episodes with our board of advisors and and they've coming from all sorts of different areas and, uh, you know, talking with, uh, with uh, Curtis Valentine, for instance, on K through 12 education innovation, or talking with uh, General Shanahan on on coming from Project Maven and what AI looks like. And what's interesting is that you talk to people from so many different backgrounds, but the engagement and making change all benefits society more broadly. And I think that's been an interesting uh, thing for me to kind of glean from all of those individuals that are part of this ecosystem is that they all have their own little bits of the world that they have expertise or ownership over, but it all comes back to if we don't take care of things at home, there isn't anything else that we can really influence otherwise. And I've been fascinating by that just to kind of, you know, thinking about, well, why, how does, how does K through 12 education influence national security? But when you listen to Curtis talk, for example, or listen to you speak about things, my question would be the opposite. How does it not? How does not yeah. having, you know, you know, strong math and science skills and reading and problem solving and critical thinking skills, how does that not help with national security? It's been a, for me, it's been a fascinating, you know, just internal case study to ingest with all these folks. And, you know, you included about, again, I thought so narrowly about what national security meant, but as I think there was a problem that maybe came out of Stanford, Alex, I don't recall one of the hacking for mm-hmm. problems I was dealing with, you know, using kelp forests, not only to help with the with the ecosystem and the oceans, but also preventing uh, smugglers, for example. That Is was it, a problem. Uh, that was a problem of one of the student teams at, in my Georgetown. At your Georgetown. OK, OK. Yeah. yeah. It's just fascinating. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, but it speaks to how bright these students are and how pragmatic they can be. And because they're not entrenched in the defense acquisition culture, for example they don't have to worry about thinking about that and they bring innovative things forward. And I, I, I love seeing that even if it's like a, I do an exercise in a design thinking workshop. I, I run on occasion, Alex, where it's the bad mm. idea exercise and like, <laughs> let's throw every bad idea we have out there to kind of get ourselves out of our comfort zone. And then how do we take every single one of those bad ideas and flip it to something good? And it's mm-hmm. been interesting to be able to see that. And so maybe not bad ideas to help for us, not a bad idea, but it's like, okay, well, what do we learn from that? And I, I love mm-hmm. seeing the way that students can kind of come at this fresh and unencumbered from the uh, the world crushing their shoulders over a career. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And they come with the beginner's mind. Yes, you know that's always like the you know one of the if we do receive critiques is around you know how could a student team even at Stanford or Columbia or RIT or Georgetown how could they help me? I'm yeah. the expert in my area. Um, I know the problem. Well, this is like a government person speaking. And really, at the end of the day, um, it's through two ways. One is the power of the beginner's mind. Yeah. If someone does it, comes unencumbered, as you said, with these, um, you know, some preconceived assumptions or whatever around the problem. And then um, not afraid of failure, right? Yes, They're willing to, one. like you said, in the design, in your design thinking workshop, let's throw out all the bad ideas first. So I'm not afraid of them. Because I have the beginner's mind, but then this shows the part of the methodology itself is that they actually get out there and um, talk to real people who are experiencing the problem. That often doesn't happen with someone who's a subject matter expert in the government or any or private sector or anywhere. Right. And so you know that's powerful. And you know again to quote Steve Blank, as you know well know he talks about um, there's no answers in the building. You got to get out of the building, and and that's powerful. Absolutely. Not, and, and, and surprisingly not done very often. It, it's interesting so. that beginner's mindset. I had a friend of mine tell me about um, this had to do with like learning like um, languages or learning musical instruments. And he said, uh, when you're three or four, you don't know what you can't do. 
nobody's told you you can't learn how to do this quickly or this takes years and years and that 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 um juvenile mindset the of being open and receptive and you don't know that what you're doing really well most people can't do or they don't experience because nobody told you no like you you can't do this and it's incredible to see where uh, mm-hmm. students can can shed these these pre pre notions preconceptions and come at it with a again that that beginner's mindset and i think that's something that I've learned to do just because of the students, because they, it's so refreshing to be able to think about, like, I never would have thought of that. I wonder how you came to that. Let's talk about it. It's just, it's amazing to see that, um, you yeah. know, but that, that beginner's mindset, it's a beautiful thing. And I don't think we talk about that enough of just being open to the art of the possible without being encumbered by um, all those years of getting your hand slapped, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 And what's, and, and again, you know, what's interesting here is back to the the topic of, this you know with this cmp anniversary is that cmp has only been doing this for four years yeah and um and we've had we've seen these level of impacts you know 60 universities in the united states 75 when you say globally as you noted expansion the uk and australia mm-hmm. um uh different types of flavors of national security programs now non-defense non-national security programs 53 plus startups out of the courses um, thousands of students who've found their new life calling. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, um, so what are we going to look like four years from now? That was my next question. Or Alex. 40 look, years from now. Yeah. What's it you look know, like when we're, we're older like? and grayer, you know? right? What right. does this look yeah. like? Yeah. And um, I think the answer to that question, and people always ask me, you know, for example, all that, I've, I've often asked, like, what problems do you want to work on, Alex? Like, what problem? And my joke is, um, I want to work on all the problems, yeah. all of them, <laughs> right? All the problems. We, I don't have a core belief around what problems we should work on. I think we should work on all of them because there's mm-hmm. many, right? You know that we need to get after. But I do have a core belief around how we should do it. This methodological approach, the mm-hmm. the hacking for method, where you start with a problem, you get out of the building through a, a robust discovery process and a structured iterative hypothesis testing mm-hmm. process. You um, you know, et cetera, that gets you beyond the the Red Queen problem, which we talked about in the last episode. Um, that's the way. And, right. And so, what does it look like four years from now? I hope we're working on all the problems. And then four years from now, I hope our approach, and probably less than that, but um, you know, I hope our approach over time is it fully institutionalized across yeah. society. Like this is the way. And now. I think it is. It has expanded quite dramatically. But does every organization, every entity, every person utilize this? No. I want to get more, not just at the. We've worked a lot at the national and international level. I'd like to get more to the local level. Right. You know, um, where um, folks can use this methodology to solve local problems and therefore create more agency around you know solving problems in their local environment, and instead of waiting for some larger superstructure entity to come fix it it's not going to happen um but they need a tool a framework a set of ways to do that and um i think this is the way and so um yeah I, that's where i see it really in, in the next you know four eight twelve so on 16 and so on years every four years from here is that i think we're just doing um solving more problems and i think hopefully bring it to more people that haven't we haven't exposed it to yet 
I think, you know, I, I absolutely agree with you, like the idea of, of bringing it to local community. And actually, I, I saw this with Hacking for Impact. So I was completely fish out of water, except for understanding the process. And when I started pitching this, the problem ideas and how I wanted this, how I thought the students could operate is that it became hyper fixated on the local. And what the students realized, and this wasn't my direction, it just kind of went that way. And what students, the students realized is that they can be positive change force in their communities. Because mm -hmm. I think it's one of those things where there's oftentimes, well, what difference can I make? I'm just one person. And I, that's the wrong mentality. And if you can find a way where you can, you can be the bringing positive into your community. And, it, you know, if you change one person's life, like we were talking about accessibility for, um, for uh, accessibility issues was one of them. But if you can make your college campus easier for those in wheelchairs or the hard of hearing and deaf communities to be able to access, um, you know, certain venues or, or, or resources, whatever it looks like. And you can make mm -hmm. the difference that you're that local level. The implications are much broader because then you have, you have a proof of concept for scalability. And I, when the students saw that, Oh, I, I can make a difference, like really make a difference. The whole trajectory of their lives change because they realize that I'm not just one person. I can, I, I, or I am just one person, but I can be changed. That's, yeah. that's powerful for them. That will change their whole lives. And I do agree with mm -hmm. you. This process is something that at the broadest levels, it's not institutionalized to the extent where somebody says, if I want to do something, I don't even know what it looks like. I, I can follow this process, realize what the problem really is. And I can move forward again with really well curated problems, something that, you know, Commission mm -hmm. Project does really well. But, you know, Alex, you know, with with the four year anniversary coming up and all these things that you've done, you know, one of the last question I'd ask you about, and I know you're not one person to talk about your accomplishments, you know, a great deal and pat yourself on the back. But what are you most proud of since you've since you've you know, creating commission project. What what is the thing that you're able to say? You know, if the world ended tomorrow, um, what what is what what are you happiest you're able to accomplish in your time so far? That is an easy question. It's it's the team we've built. Period. At the commission project. Period. Um, the organization is an entity. It's a you know boring legal entity that <laughs> helps that we need to, you know, it's a tool that helps us bring all this impact that we just were discussing. But there's no organization, of course, without the people. And we have built an absolutely incredible team at the Commission Project. And um, that is far away what I would say I'm most proud of, even beyond the impacts that we we're talking about. Why? Because I know that we have built a, uh, a full system to sustain this. And, you know, for us to be able to continue to do this four years, eight years, 12 years, 16 years, uh, et cetera, from now, um, and so on, 40 years from now, uh, will be because we have an entity that has the right people and can pull the right people into the future, into the organization to keep it going. Um, it will require this, this little engine, the common mission project to keep it all going. I, you know, I, I, it's been a, I, I, I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but this was an organization as soon as I met you and a few other people on the team at Texas A&M was life changing for me. And it's been interesting to see how many students who've been in the H4 mm -hmm. space either, you know, come an intern, actually a couple of my Sandhurst students, I've seen they're entering at the UK uh, CMP team. And it's directly because of the experience that they mm -hmm. had here. And it's changing the trajectory that they have. And for me, my whole life changed quite literally because a friend of mine had to go to uh, on deployment and he needed me to cover down for his H4 class. 
go through, do the training and mm. my trajectory changed. So personally, again, I, you know, not only are you my, my boss, my executive director, you're my, a good friend and somebody I admire a great deal and the things that you've accomplished and, and considering again, how selfless you are, um, you know, I'm excited to see again, I I've told you this before, Alex in private, but you know, when we're old men, which doesn't feel that far off sometimes, <laughs> but when we're old men being able to sit back mm. and looking back at the things that have been accomplished and say, you know, we got to play a small part in that. And I'm eternally grateful for the opportunities and the things mm-hmm. that commission has done. But again, being in the classroom, just like you are and seeing the positive impact this is making on people's lives every day is incredibly life affirming. And I think that's why for me, when the opportunity came to work with you full time, it was no thought needed. This is one of the most impressive organizations that um, I, if outside of the army, probably the most impressive organization that I've ever got to work with. So Alex, thank you for that, for your leadership. And, you know, here's, you know, to our fourth birthday, I'm excited to get the cake and the balloons out for yeah. that, but I'm looking forward to, you know, eight, 12, 40, 50 years and seeing what this organization looks like. And a lot of that I do attribute directly to your leadership and to the way that you frame and, and are tireless in your effort to be, to be a, a positive force uh, for uh, a force for positive change in the world. So thank you, Alex. Yeah, no, thank you for saying all that. And um, thank you for what you're doing. Uh, you're the keeper of our flame, as I say, you know, the person who protects the methodology. Um, and that's the most important thing. And um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm grateful to just be a part of this, uh, the story here. And, um, and there'll be more chapters to be written from here. So thanks for the time today. And uh, look forward to talking with you more, Jim. Thank you very much, Alex. Well, uh, for everyone listening, thank you for uh, another great uh, episode, Alex. And uh, if you haven't checked out the Ride Queen episode, you can find that wherever your favorite podcasts are hosted. If you haven't subscribed yet, uh, what are you waiting for? We got a lot of great content coming your way week (laughs) after week. So uh, again, Alex, thank you so much for being here. And everyone who's listening, thank you very much. We appreciate your support. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you. Thank you again to the Common Mission Project for their support of this podcast. The Common Mission Project has demonstrated that students can tackle some of the toughest government problems and in doing so, create vibrant, diverse ecosystems for government, academia, and industry build partnerships around problems, prototypes, and solutions to urgent challenges facing our nation. To find out more about the Common Mission Project, please visit commonmission.us, which is linked in the description of this episode, as well as finding out options on how you can get more involved with our wonderful nonprofit organization, including opportunities to donate. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you on the next one.